Welcome to the weekly podcast for Science in the City, the public gateway of the New York Academy of Sciences, online at scienceinthecity.org. Today is Friday, May 9th, 2008. I'm Alana Rangi. For the past six years, the Alfred P. Sloan Foundation has teamed up with the Sundance Institute to recognize independent films and screenplays that tackle science topics. In this podcast, I'll introduce you to two of this year's winners and delve into the endearing romance between science and film, a relationship that's a bit more natural than you'd probably think. So grab your popcorn, sit down, and make yourself comfortable. Ah, the modern-day science movie, a portrait of human lab rats in white lab coats doing titrations. Or not. Hello, I'm here with one of my favorite bears. It's Mr. Chocolate. Hey, Mr. Chocolate. He's been with me for over a decade, and he's been my good friend. Oh, he's a big bear. He's a big bear. A very big bear. Wow. That was a clip from Grizzly Man, the 2005 documentary on Timothy Treadwell and his life and eventual death with bears. Grizzly Man won the 2005 Sundance Film Festival Alfred P. Sloan Award for Science and Technology in Independent Film. In 2006 came House of Sand, a Brazilian movie about an unusual scientific expedition. And last year, the Sundance Sloan Award went to a film called Dark Matter. Looking at the stars. I'm looking at the dark matter. 99% of the universe. Dark matter. This is the highest score we've ever had on the qualifying exam. Think of Professor Dick. Welcome to the team. I would like to propose a toast to our new Chinese students. Come back. Off the bottoms. Oh, <laughs> bottoms up. Are you a student here? No. Are you? Yes. Cosmology. Wow. Hey, maybe you could give me a free makeover. I think so. Anne Lai is a producer at the Sundance Institute. She says the now six-year partnership between the Sloan Foundation and Sundance, called the Science and Film Initiative, is a natural fit. The Science and Film Initiative is something we're doing in conjunction with the Sloan Foundation. There are sort of four different components that come in our work with Sloan, specifically looking at feature film. The one that's probably the most well-known and, and higher profile is the Sloan Feature Film Prize, and that takes place at the festival in January. It's looking at a finished film and a film that's playing in the festival. And there's a jury that's sort of put together and a selection is made of a film that exemplifies not only you know, a great piece of work, but also incorporates science as some component, either within the story or a scientist as a character in the story. And this year was a film from Alex Rivera called The Sleep Dealer. The other components are a science and film forum that also takes place at the festival, which is a, you know, a panel and an opportunity for filmmakers and all those sort of interested in incorporating science into their artwork and how that works in science influencing film and vice versa. The other two components which we deal with are sort of at earlier stages. They're not at finished film stages. One is the commissioning grant, which is a little bit newer in our relationship with Sloan, and that's looking at a 
script or a treatment of a project at very early stages, development stages, um, where we look at a ton of different material from different filmmakers, different writers who are interested in working on a project that incorporates a science component, and we select something that then receives a commissioning grant and it allows them, sort of gives them the financial ability to basically take the time to write and develop that piece of material into a full script or a full screenplay. And then the fourth and final component is Sloan Fellowship, the name fellowship that then becomes part of our screenwriting labs, which we do twice a year. And what that is is very in-depth focus and development and feedback that's given to the writer as they make progress with their screenplay and with their writing. This year, Ryan Knighton, a Canadian writer, and Michael Almereda, a well-known American screenwriter, were recognized for their science-themed screenplays in progress. Knighton is a tall, good-looking, 30-something-year-old with a shaved head. A native Vancouverite, Knighton broke into the writing world with his memoir called Cockeyed. Cockeyed is Knighton's story of slowly going blind. He told me that he calls it a reluctant memoir. Originally, I was going to write a book of essays just about what blindness has shown me. I mean, I went blind slowly over 15 years from retinitis pigmentosa. So rather than waking up one day having been conked on the head and suddenly you're blind and you have to learn how to adapt, I had a very long 15-year twilight of slowly losing my sight, which reveals different things in that gradation, you know, about language, about desire, about family, about all sorts of stuff as you slowly inch along. So I decided I wanted to write a book of essays about not looking at blindness, but looking out from blindness at other things in the world. But in order to write about that perspective, I had to tell the story of how I got to it each time, because it changes over time. And inadvertently, you end up writing a memoir then, because the observations are framed by the things that have happened to you. Earlier this year, to help turn his memoir to movie, Knighton was awarded the Sundance Institute Sloan Fellowship for Script Development. I had gone down to L.A., for a meeting with the Sundance people, um, with one of my producers for Cockeyed. I had a first draft of the script that I'd written in about three months, and it was very loosey-goosey, and it was, you know, my first attempt at writing a screenplay. I'd never written one before. My producers had put me forward for the Sundance Screenwriters Labs in hopes that I'd get in, like everybody in practically the free world hopes, and for that extra edge of refining it and, you know, learning the craft and so on and so forth. So we went down for a meeting at Sundance, and I thought it went well, but being blind, I really couldn't tell because I can't see anybody's facial expressions. So everything is enthusiasm without commitment. You just can't tell how things go in those kinds of meetings. So, you know, we waited, and Sundance called, and we had a conference call with them, and they said, well, you know, we take 12 every year to the Screenwriters Lab, and um, you were you were 13. My 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 quiet thought was, why are you calling me? <laughs> like, why are you telling me this? I'd rather think I was 100th. And then they said, however, we put you forward for the Sloan Fellowship, and if you'd like to come, we've made a space for the 13th, and you'd be funded by the Sloan Foundation. And I was ecstatic. It was a program I didn't know much about, and it was an angle in my script I really hadn't thought about before, you know, this idea of where, you know, culture and science intersect. After talking to Knighton, I met with Doran Weber, Program Director at the Sloan Foundation. Weber runs the program in public understanding of science and technology and the program in universal access to knowledge for the foundation. He's also responsible for reading all the film scripts submitted for Sloan Awards. I wanted to know what drew him to Knighton's story. Well, Ryan Knighton's script is extraordinary because the kind of story you don't usually get. It's got a very authentic feel to it. You know you're getting something from someone's very raw experience, lived experience, so it has a kind of unusual 
quality from the get-go. And the challenge for us is always to find scripts that actually fit our mandate, which is having science and technology themes or characters. And in this case, it's the way in which he goes blind and the science of how vision works and how you lose because in his kind of illness, it's actually a reverse example of how most of us see and take things for granted. And so he doesn't just go blind one day. He gradually loses the ability to see. And the script explores that. And our grant is supposed to um, help develop even that aspect of the script so that the viewer, in the context of the drama, has a clear understanding of exactly what it is that happened to him. Lie says Sundance saw similar strengths in Knighton's script. We were sort of very drawn to the personal nature and the powerful writing that he had um, and a very unique story that he had. On top of that, what was interesting to us about the science component is that there is this really, you know, here is this sort of punk rock kind of guy, completely not even on a path close to becoming a writer, and, you know, whose life is turned upside down by the events of this disease and what that progress was, how does it affect him in real life and in real in real time. And to us, we just thought that his story was so powerful, so personal, and yet had this very interesting component that happened to be scientific. So what exactly is a Sundance Sloan Fellowship? Basically, it's a boot camp for a select group of promising screenwriters. Earlier this year, Knighton trekked down to L.A. to put cockeyed through what Sundance calls the Future Film Lab. I asked Knighton what it was like. It's a really wonderful, utopian, and strange place. I mean, it's sort of like an Agatha Christie novel. You, you know, there's about 12 fellows up there, like me, who are emerging screenwriters of one kind or another. Not even, I say loosely, most of the people I was there with were far more accomplished than I am. And then the advisors are, you know, kind of industry figures and icons and people that I'd only knew in name and by their pictures. And there they were in front of me, the people who write these things. Um, but you're gathered together in these cabins up on the Sundance Ski Resort. You know, you meet together in the lodge in the morning for breakfast, and you start work, and you kind of like every day wait to see who's going to get murdered, and somebody's going to come in and solve it, and then we're going to all fight for the film rights. Uh, so it has a strange Agatha Christie feel, all these people gathered in the woods. But, I, you know, I learned, you know, I mean, you really you sit down each day with two different advisors, and you go through your script for like two to three hours with each of them independently. They know your screenplay as well as you do, and they really understand something fundamental about storytelling, perhaps in a way that I haven't heard novelists that I know or prose writers that I know really even express it. Because they understand something more about story than about narrative or you know exposition or description or any of the other facets of storytelling that go into novels. They understand something that is just fundamentally called story. And that's not the same as a series of scenes. It's something to do with how the energy is carried forward from one to the next and how you make an audience person believe they're getting the whole picture, even though they're getting an artful omission. Michael Amoreda is a New York-based screenwriter who's no newcomer to the industry. He, like Knighton, has also been to Sundance's feature film lab, but as an advisor to new scriptwriters rather than a participant. Almereda is the 2008 recipient of the Sundance Sloan Commissioning Grant. $25,000 to help him finish his science-theme-based script on the famous behavioral scientist, Stanley Milgram. I met Al Moreta in a park in New York's Chelsea Gallery District to talk about his motivation for writing the script. My name is Michael Al Moreta, and I make movies for a living. Milgram is a fascinating character who's better known for what he did rather than for his own name, but his fundamental essential experiment was conducted in 1961, 60, 61, no, actually 61, 62 at Yale University. And 
They're called the obedience experiments. Basically, ordinary citizens were enlisted. Their moral values were tested in a kind of underhanded way. These well-known experiments involve people at a fake machine that generates electricity. They believe they generates up to, I think, 450 volts of electricity to a man sitting in another room who is responding to a questionnaire. And whenever the man gave a wrong answer, they were told to administer a shock by a man in a, a lab coat with a clipboard. And with no further prompting, uh, an overwhelming majority of the subjects were delivering electric shocks, or thought they were, to a person on the other side who was actually screaming and protesting and then failing to answer at all, as if he, the implication was he, he was dead, or at least unconscious. And this flew in the face of the in initial expectation. The first thought was that only a few people would go all the way and administer all the voltages. But in fact, it was an inverted ratio. There were a few people who resisted. And the results remain really profound and poignant and relevant. It shows how people are inclined to behave in a different way when they think they're not responsible. So it's an insight into human nature, at least human nature within certain situations. Why do you think that you're the first person to sort of tackle this in the film world? The true Stanley Milgram is a creative and complicated person who did other things beyond the experiment. And so I don't know why no one's made this movie before, but it does seem ripe and ready for, for general public. Weber says he saw something unique when he sat down and read Almereda's grand proposal. Well, Milgram was an incredibly important individual in terms of what he revealed to us um, about human nature. And I think Michael's treatment was very intelligent, very smart about how he went about understanding who Milgram was and what it was psychologically that led Milgram himself to want to design the experiments in the way that he did. And so that made it, I think, a lot more interesting than it might have been in someone else's hands. While the Stanley Milgram story has an unavoidable science angle, Knighton, Almereda, and Weber see science and film as naturally complementary. There's compelling dramatic narratives in the world because of things we don't understand. And science is one of the lenses through which that lack of understanding can be both clarified and film is one of the means through which it can be expressed. So, you know, it, it makes sense to me that you would want to bring this into the, the public imagination because it, film is a way that you, you kind of socialize and massage into the public imagination uh, a kind of knowledge that wouldn't be there otherwise. It's not confined to textbooks. It's not something that's relegated to scholarship or institutions. It becomes the fabric of culture. I mean, you just have to look at something like An Inconvenient Truth and what it did for the level of discourse around global warming. And that's because he created a compelling narrative about a scientific issue. And that's a, that's a different thing. Knowledge and narrative are different. And how you create narratives of the kind of knowledge that science can have is, is a really interesting question. A lot of my films, or a lot of scripts especially I've written that haven't been made, involve technology. I think the world we live in, the way human beings interface with technology, the way we live with machines, and the way our lives are shaped and sometimes distorted by technology, I think that's a profound theme. Obviously, science is a huge factor in our understanding of the world. It is, by definition, <laughs> how we understand the world. It's commonly felt that science is presented as an inhuman activity. When anything but that is true, I've, I'm not a scientist, and I never had a knack for science, but I've been intrigued by how much scientists' lives seem aligned with artists' lives, that they, their fundamental sense of awe and curiosity seem very much like artists, and their sense of 
the nature of inspiration, the nature of transforming facts into some theory and then back again to apply to reality, it's very much a similar circuit that artists run along. I think science, certainly at the highest level, is an incredibly creative enterprise. And the best scientists and the best artists have a lot in common. I think they're just different ways of looking at the world. So I don't actually think they're dissimilar at all. And I think part of the two-culture gap that we're trying to bridge is really to try to get people to look at the world as a whole, and the separation is artificial, and it's an artifact of the last couple of hundred years. People didn't used to think of science and scientists as one part of the world, and artists or humanities as another part. But similarities aside, says Weber, it's hard to get screenwriters to think about the big picture when it comes to science. Films that come out, they need to think about our subject more broadly. What happens is people think white lab coat, you know, serious. First of all, they forget about comedy, about satire. To have really smart satire, you have to really understand what you're satirizing. You have to have done your homework before you skewer it. Otherwise, you know, a film like The Aviator. We could build a plane with the ability to fly into the substratosphere. You know, Martin Scorsese would have qualified under I criteria. A film like Kinsey, which, you know, a sex researcher, but in fact started as entomologist and the scientific method and the way in which he used to collect beetles was actually the way in which he finally used to study human sexual behavior and it helped him and that's a key to understanding exactly how he arrived at his conclusions. Hello, I'm Dr. Alfred Kinsey from Indiana University and I'm making a study of sex behavior. So I think there are lots of different ways still. And I think in 50, 100 years, no one will believe you have to have a foundation offering money to get people to make films about science technology, which is like saying, make a film about the modern world. Neither Almereda nor Knighton will offer any hints about when their scripts will be hitting the big screen. Both say their science-based screenplays are coming along. In the meantime, Weber and Lay are keeping their eyes peeled for next year's science scripts and movies. Who knows, your great idea for a science film could just be it. For Science in the City, I'm Alana Rangi. Thanks for listening. We'd love to hear what you thought about this podcast and other Science in the City podcasts. Email your comments to scienceandthecity at nyas.org. Leave a voicemail at 212-298-8654. Or send your feedback snail mail to Science in the City Podcasts, care of the New York Academy of Sciences, 7 World Trade Center, 250 Greenwich Street, on the 40th floor, New York, New York, 10007. To find out more about the intersection of science and culture in New York City, visit our website at scienceinthecity.org. See you next week.